0: This is Tim O'Malley, joined by Tim Priester of Irish Illustrated and John Bryce of footballscoop.com. We thought Notre Dame would handle the day. We thought Notre Dame's defense would clearly be the best unit on the field, but I don't think any of us saw 40-8 to eight for Notre Dame. I know John Bryce, your score was a lot better uh, indicator of what might happen and what did than ours were. Uh, I, th- I think both Tim Priester and I felt Oregon State would put up a little bit more of a fight defensively, and since Tim and I have talked a bit on instant analysis, I'd like to get your thoughts, John, on, Exactly what you saw out there, especially the final three quarters uh, in post fake punt where Notre Dame just dominated thereafter.
1: Yeah, you understood what Oregon State was doing with the fake punt. It was desperate. It had absolutely nothing to lose. But in having nothing to lose, it absolutely lost everything from that point onward. And and Notre Dame had controlled the game to that point. I never felt Notre Dame was really threatened whatsoever. Uh, Notre Dame's defense was excellent Two, I think two net rushing yards. For the game, Notre Dame with more than 40 minutes time of possession. Um, I'd written in my prediction that I felt like Notre Dame would be the deeper, more talented team, even with all the opt-outs on both sides of the ball. I felt that Notre Dame would be the better coach team and the more stable team on both sides of the ball. I think we saw that. I think we continued to see great work overall from from Marty Biagi and the special teams unit. So a really thorough win. I I don't think uh, we can stress enough, T.O., and you and I have talked about it a bunch. In a lot of ways, this was a must-win game for Notre Dame, in my opinion. Notre Dame not only won, it did so in emphatic fashion, and it's okay to be excited springboarding this into 2024.
0: And Tim Priester, before we get to all the, the fun in the game, you you and I were, and, and I think every Notre Dame pundit or fan, felt the Notre Dame defense was going to handle it, and boy, the first eight drives, nothing for Oregon State. And the ninth drive was when Notre Dame scored a touchdown. It was when Notre Dame started to sub in a little bit uh, to try to get some more people some experience, but that that defensive performance was, as Marcus Freeman said, he'd be lying if he said it was a surprise to him because they really came to play.
2: Yeah, and that's a good comment by Marcus Freeman because we we all thought that they would, would play well. We probably you and I gave gave Oregon State too much credit by saying they'd score 13 points, but that, real quickly, if I could jump back, the only thing worse than a, a fake punt is one that you tip off the opponent is going that is going to happen. And uh, Marcus Freeman admitted. After the game, that they uh, they certainly Marty Biagi suspected something would happen, and it, you know what? The way I put it was it wasn't the turning point, but it was the launching point for Notre Dame because after that, Notre Dame c- that took control. But to your point about the defense, El uh, Golden was extremely aggressive. I think I think J D Bertrand was b- blitzed like six of the first eight snaps or ten snaps. so They were going to put pressure on. Their offensive line, their offensive line was in a wor- worse shape than what NordAim's was. And NordAim had obviously had to replace their two tackles. So uh, just to, you know, I mean, 10 first downs for, for Oregon State, two yards rushing, 197 yards total offense, exactly the kind of dominance that you expected from the NordAim defense. And then the bonus on the offensive side, where Angeli ended up playing a, a mature game. They ran the football 236 yards. 108 yards for uh, for Jadari and Price. And Jordan Faison, speaking of no surprises, I mean, the, good Lord. I mean, the kid is just – he's a ball player, and um, he showed that he was ready for the moment once again. Sticking with the
0: defense, the first eight third and fourth downs for Oregon State gained an aggregate negative eight yards, and obviously they were stopped on all of those by Notre Dame. And, John – both Tim and I had the same MVP ballot, actually. We, we didn't play on that, but we had the same MVP ballot. Jordan Botello overtook JJB. I mean, I kind of wanted to vote JJB in because he had he opted into this game, for lack of a better phrase. But Jordan Botello had his best game. JJB had the game that we've come to expect from him as the grand transfer of the year at Notre Dame. He was fantastic again.
1: Yeah, and the, the money downs, uh, again, I think showcased the thorough domination that, that Notre Dame performed on both sides of the ball. I mean, look, uh, at one point in time, I, I don't have the final stats at this instant, but but when the game was technically still in the balance, Notre Dame had gone 7-for-10 offensively on third and fourth down conversions, and at that point in time, Oregon State, I believe, was still 0-for-8, something, something along those lines. Notre, uh, Oregon State, I think, finished up around 3-for-16 or something just really putrid. Notre Dame, with one of its most efficient days offensively, converting third and fourth downs over the course of this game. And, and yeah, uh, Notre Dame won the sticks. They kept Oregon State behind the sticks repeatedly. Oregon State was limited to begin with. Uh, when Oregon State and that offense and Goldbranson Branson were, were sitting at, at second and 14 or third and nine, it was a win every time for Notre Dame's defense. It was uh, when, when Notre Dame game plan, the, the coaches could have only said this is an ideal scenario and then had that very scenario unfold time and time again today.
0: And there was no big plays against Notre Dame, really. The first play of the game was a 12-yard pass where they kind of caught Jaden Mickey on look, what looked like a wham block you don't see anymore in space, actually. And then other than that, a couple plays, the, there was there was one pass we want to highlight, Fungle Branson, because everybody needs credit at one thing. As Tim Priester said, near the end of the second quarter, near the end of the first half, oh rolling right. He, that was one. Of, that was an NFL throw. And then the next play, after another completion, is called back for a hold. Once again, JJB was held. That's another thing. He did well. Pulled him out of field goal range. Jordan Batello with basically a a pressure on fourth down. The defense was outstanding, but I think the offense is the story that Notre Dame fans will want to talk about because a lot of young guys out there, it was freshmen and sophomores, and the only real senior involved in the day doesn't feel like a senior, Tosh Baker. Other than that, it was freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and sophomores that were doing the damage.
1: And and the cleanliness of operation, I'm sorry, TP, I would just say real quickly, The cleanliness of operation stood out for me today. Three penalties for Notre Dame for a total of 15 yards, a couple of delay of game penalties. And uh, coincidentally enough, those delay of game penalties occurred well after Notre Dame had already seized control of the situation and and really just seemed to be uh, sort of being overly selective in what it wanted to do next to the Oregon State defense, T.P., Tim, you, you were talking about you know the young guys, but
2: wasn't it great to see Jaden Thomas running around again? You did most of his damage early on. He was targeted uh, five times, caught four passes for 59 yards. Had 40 yards after the catch, which again, a guy that dealt with hamstring issues all season, to see him get 40 yards after the catch, it was it was just great to see that. Matt Salerno ended up getting a, a, a late reception for 20 yards, which is a great way for. For his Notre Dame career to come to an end, Jaden Greathouse only had uh, two targets, but he caught them both. Didn't make a significant impact. You know, we kind of we talked about this during the week or the weeks leading up to this that they might find ways to get the football to Jeremiah Love uh, in space on the edge, and he did catch a pass and and scored a touchdown. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of difficult to to find things to to nitpick with, other than you know they spun their wheels a little bit. In the first half, but again, the launching point was that uh, that that snuffed out um, fake punt that uh, that that turned the tide completely in Notre Dame's favor.
0: It was seven nothing at that point with 3:33 to go. Um, JB, I, I had mentioned previously uh, sitting with Tim. There's going to have to be a fake here at some point today. Marcus Freeman talked about that later, but my point to Tim was. You don't fake it. And this was before the miss that you don't fake it when you're going to gain seven yards on your six yard directs or your direct snap. And then Notre Dame, you have to go 45 more yards on Notre Dame. Had they gotten that and gained 10 yards, they would have gone three and out again or four and yeah. out again, the fake play that Oregon state needed. And they really didn't have any chances as Tim pointed out. They were never in the red zone. The fake play opportunity, a fake punt, a fake field goal, something along those lines had to be a giant chunk game and score. Otherwise you probably are better off punting there. I know, Tom, the intern, put a stat out that their, their win percentage went down from 21% to 14%. Had they punted, it would have stayed at 21%. By going for it at all, it was a 14%. That's, it's an indictment of what you cannot do against Notre Dame's defense, even if you pick up the first down. Notre Dame would have said, okay, you have a first down. Let's go. Three more downs. Yeah, it's,
2: and I mean, downs. It's, a, it's a one-score game at that point, point. Yeah. and it's almost at the end of the half, and I realize that, hey, if you convert it, you know, you're optimistic and you think you can keep going and tie the game at halftime, but it just seemed really inappropriate and it's especially inappropriate when you tip it off. Right. I mean, it was, it was
0: bad. It fake was, punts it, are the worst fake punts. We yeah. can all agree. Whoever's listening. Those yeah. are terrible. Yeah. Things. I yeah. mean, and, you, know, it, it, yeah. you
2: obviously tipped it because the opposing special teams coach went running up to Marcus Freeman to tell him they're going to fake something. And, and they did. So, you know, we, we were, JB, we were impressed with, with uh, coach Hinson at the press conference yesterday, he really made a great, Great impression on us, like, hey man, this guy's this guy's sharp, and he yeah. had the attention of his team. But in this instance, um you know, it, it was it was just a it was a bad decision, and Notre Dame made him pay for it.
1: Yeah, and um again, that that speaks to how well coached Notre Dame is, how well prepared Notre Dame was. Burnham made a great play uh, on that situation, and we discussed in the podcast on Thursday afternoon, I guess it was that. Um, Oregon State was going to have to find some chunk plays here or there because it could not systematically and with any sort of consistency move up and down the field on, on Notre Dame's defense. I think that was one component for the fake. Obviously, um, maybe in that situation, you would think, OK, don't you have a, a fake pump pass in your arsenal? The other thing is, I think that heavily factored into it, they felt like they had to, to go there because I'm not convinced they believe they could they could stop Notre Dame from scoring and they knew Notre Dame got the ball to start the second half. So I think that was a calculated gamble as much to try and keep possession of the ball as it was to try and set up anything that might give them a score. I think that was going for a fake right there and and trying to convert just to hang on to the ball because you were already hanging on for dear life in that contest. But again, Notre Dame uh, incredibly well prepared, snuffed it out, and immediately cashed in on it.
0: And we're going to have plenty on Riley Leonard-Priester because we, we we are in the position we have to nitpick him because he played so well. Now he gets to get nitpicked as a quarterback. That's what happens to Notre Dame starter. We don't, not everything can be rosy anymore. But it's a good point, John, because Notre Dame's drives before that were a long touchdown drive, a long field goal drive where they missed the field goal, and a sack took them out of field goal range. They actually had accrued more yardage than the 48-yard drive showed. They had finally punted, and then that was a touchdown drive as well. But, boy, talk about efficiency for Notre Dame. If you throw out the fourth quarter of the last drive – and Priester made a great point while we we're down there on the sidelines. They have to go try to score a touchdown here. They onside kicked on you. You got you got to go down and score a touchdown when they onside kick on you. And I think, and I think at the end of the year you should do that anyway. Yeah. But it's touchdown, long drive without a field goal. One drive with a punt where it wasn't a great drive. Six plays, 12 yards. That is where Angeli jumped to try to gain the first down. Never do that, but I get it, Tim.
2: He's trying to, he made a play athletically. He was trying to get you a spectacular play athletically. No, so, I know, but he had, he had already gotten, he had already maximized yes, the run. Yes, and, you know, he, you know,
1: had, he had, but, but <laughs> I, I admire a little bit of that. We've heard so much about the fourth and ones this year that were not converted because the ball was in the wrong right, arm, well, then going stay out of bounds. Then, so then, awesome.
2: then stay on your feet and try to <laughs> yeah. get the run. Yeah, you're, right, you're oh, yeah. right.
1: And he did that later. See, he he yes. learned within the game. Yeah, and and we'll did. say, Steve Angelito, you had a little miss, misspoke there and, and said Riley Leonard. Would have oh. his performance nit- nitpick. We're not, we're not ready to nitpick Riley Leonard just yet. But
2: well, John, I, um, no. I, I actually asked uh, Angeli about Riley Leonard, and it was a pretty brief response that he's met him and you know, et cetera. Yeah. But all that, uh, you know, look, yeah, I'm nitpicking, but you know, I mean, that's what we were are analyzing. I don't think it's nitpicking. I thought there were two instances, and and John, you agreed with me. The one mm-hmm. was the jump. I mean, just just stay on your feet and run. It was a, it was a good run. I thought later on he he had a couple really nice bursts. Uh, yes. which is something. remember we speculated about, okay, well, what will be different with Gino Goduli calling plays? Well, one of them is you're going to see the quarterback run a little bit more. And he did a nice job of it. The other one was when he took the sack before the the fifty yard miss by Schrader, I just and, and he he didn't get good protection. but he just let his feet stand still, and there was no way he was going to avoid it. then that's a bad sack. It was a thirteen yard sack and it made a fifty yard. Field goal, but other than those two things, I mean, really, after that, I thought he played uh, really strong, winning football, and that's what you're looking for. You want, hey, he's making his first start. Maybe he's a little bit nervous. He makes a couple decisions that aren't great, but he learns from those and then goes on to complete 15 out of 19 for 232 yards and and three touchdowns. So I'm not. It's it's not a it's not a massive uh, uh, criticism. It's just a critique, and he learned from it and got better as the game went on.
1: And I would just quickly say, um, as we talk about learning as the game goes on, and, and we already referenced that about Angelli, I would I would contend this was very much another example of Marcus Freeman growing, learning, and evolving as a head coach. He made it clear going into the locker room at halftime with the CBS reporter, we're going to stay aggressive. We're going to remain the aggressor. We're going to continue to take the fight to Oregon State. And maybe... He wasn't truly thinking about it in his mind at that point in time. But if you didn't flash back to two years ago in his first game as head coach at the Fiesta Bowl, when they were seemingly in command at halftime and and let it slip away, um, I thought that this game, the way Notre Dame managed it in preparations, execution, everything it did today, I thought it was uh, more testament to the growth and evolution of this program under Marcus Freeman. And and conversely, I thought you looked across the sideline and saw an Oregon state staff in in very similar situation to what this Notre Dame staff was two years ago, a bunch of guys doing roles that they'd never been in before Notre Dame took advantage of.
2: You're absolutely right, John. I mean, he, he, you know, he always says I challenged the team and he did it at halftime. And he did say after the game that he thought that the offense was a little sloppy in that first drive. Here's a, okay. Here's a couple other critiques. And I, and, I have to look at the, the, the film of it to to have a better idea, but they did take two delay of game penalties. I don't know whether that was an, on Angeli, or just communication, whatever. But, uh, you know, he said he felt that that first drive was a little bit sloppy, and then he challenged them again on the sideline, and then that's when the, the offense really took off.
0: You know, I got an interesting stat from Alan Wazalewski, assistant athletics director who is sitting to my right. That is Marcus Freeman's seventh um, win against the top 25 team. Obviously, that's not a normal top 25 team, Oregon State, but that's that's Freeman's seventh win against the top 25. And where that ranks in Notre Dame history for a coach in his first two years, it would be hard for anyone to guess this, but I am kind of leading you into this because it's remarkable that that is number one in the history of Notre Dame football that no coach has beaten seven ranked teams in his first two seasons.
1: Well, let me uh, abut that statistic with another one I just looked up right before the show, and that is Marcus Freeman now has 19 wins through his first two years at the helm. That matches Charlie Weiss for the most wins by any Notre Dame head football coach in history for wins in the first two seasons. So 19 wins, the most, ties the most all-time for a Notre Dame football coach in his first two seasons. Your, your note on seven wins against AP-ranked opponents, the record uh, and and the AP rank for Oregon State I think was 21. They were actually number 20 in the CFP rankings. So um it wasn't like they were in one poll and not universally listed. They were consensus ranked and they were top 20 in the CFP rankings.
0: I think one important thing on offense that we've just barely touched on is that Jadarian Price had the big day. Because Jeremiah Love, I think, is ensconced in his role going forward next year. I think Jadarian Price is pretty much, in coming to this game, pretty much sure of his role going next year. He and Jeremiah Love, the top two backs. Love has been the toast of the town since he hit the ground running in August camp. Jadarian Price has had a rough road back because, boy, he was loved. Then he got hurt. Then he was ahead of schedule, then he was getting the ball three times a game. And no matter what, when you're getting the ball three and four times a game, you're not going to feel the same about yourself. This is a huge springboard into the offseason for Price.
2: Yeah, they, they they there's probably needs a little uh, reassuring you know, necessary for Jadari and Price because you know, we heard through through some intel during the season he was a little frustrated that he wasn't getting some of the touches. So he ends up getting. You know, thirteen touches. Love Love had fifteen via the the running game. Yeah, it was very important. He ends up with one hundred and six net yards, uh, and it, it you know it was important that he had that kind of game. I hope that he's not uh, you know looking at this situation as, hey man, I thought that I thought once that once estimate left that I would be the, you know the next guy in line to be the bell cow back. I, I, you hope that isn't the case. And then Jabron Payne also had six carries for for 24 yards as well and he he certainly has a role in the short yardage so it, they've got a good thing going there even without Audrick Estime, we saw Estime um on, on the field uh w- with his team and Joe Alt was there um you know so everybody but
0: Leo Fow, everybody but Leo was yeah not, Sam, of, Sam, not official we just didn't see Leo Fow.
2: Sam yeah. Harvin was uh, was was certainly present I saw uh I saw Hartman and uh and Alta Chick-fil-A on the day before the game. They didn't obviously have anything to do. So uh that but they were hanging around. And, and by the way, just changing the subject, that, that Sun Bowl Stadium is one of the most beautiful settings you're ever going to see in college football. And it contrary to 13 years ago when Tim and I were there and it snowed like crazy the night before the game, uh, it was just an absolutely perfect day. And Notre Dame played Predominantly perfect over the course of four quarters as well.
1: As you, was, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, real quickly on the running backs. I mean, again, to me, that's the value of Adela McCullough. That's a guy who's not just coached in the NFL, but won a Super Bowl in the NFL. And he can point to those guys and say, hey, when we were at the Chiefs for a time, we had Damian Williams and we had Clyde Edwards Alaire. And Damian Williams had been really good. And we drafted Clyde Edwards Alaire out of LSU, and we found a way to use both of those guys. And and um, there's never been more headlines than what there was leading into this season about NFL running backs um, just sort of having a shorter shelf life than ever and sort of being taken for granted. Um, and so I know it can be frustrating as a competitor because both of those guys are plenty skilled and talented enough to be the lead back for any number of programs. But their long-term careers are better served as a oh, yeah. tandem together and what they're able to do, T.O.,
0: you know, actually, I, of all people, I talked to Logan Diggs about that. I, I, he didn't leave only because he wanted the ball a lot more. Right? He didn't. He wouldn't have gone to LSU if he thought he was going to get forty carries a game. There's running backs at LSU too. Before he left, he's like, I, "Look, we all want the ball. We also all know how it works. We're we're helping each other in this situation now." Everybody wants the ball when you hit the fourth quarter every single time. Like, if someone were to say to you, you're going to get 200 carries, somebody else is getting 180, that's fine. But, yeah, but I want 180 of the important ones. That's, that's, that is, of course, how running backs are going to look at it. I thought a good point was made during the game where Jadarian Price would get his eight-yard gains and his gains of three both looked like good runs. In other words, just because the blockers executed or didn't execute in front of him he was still breaking a tackle or two, shedding an arm tackle. He does run hard, and it's a good question from Any Davis. I, I think we can get an answer among us, though. Any Davis says Price looked good with twenty o's. Still don't know what kind of back Love is. Uh, Jeremiah Love did have four first downs today, three rushing the football and a touchdown reception. That's a quality game when you're getting 13 touches. He accrued four touch, four first downs as well. So did Jadarian Price.
2: Well, I think he, you know, I mean, like any freshman, he needs to get stronger, and I think he's going to be a lot stronger football player next year. And speaking of that, I, I think we're, you know, we remember Dylan McCullough's reaction to seeing Jadarian Price for the first time, and he was completely sold on him. We have to keep in mind that this is, the, you know, he's one year removed from the the Achilles injury, and Achilles and ACLs have a way of of holding you back a little bit for a year and then the next year, even stronger, you know, the upper body strength of price. We saw him post game, you know, is sensational, but I I think that we're going to see an even better version of him next year. And we should see a better version of Jeremiah Love because he's just a freshman and, you know, he, he's, he's not a guy coming out of high school that was that was a tackle breaker per se. He was a, he was a, he was a speed guy. So I think both of those, Two running backs, and then you have Jabron Payne, who did a lot of good, uh, you know, really quality short yardage stuff. But those two other guys, I think we're going to see even better versions of them next year.
1: Yeah, and on on Love, um, first of all, he had some tough yardage runs today. They they leaned on him early in some short yardage situations, and he moved the chains. They ran him off tackle, and he shot up in the hole and did some things. Um, he has a great ability to get skinny with his body and plant and get upfield, and then you absolutely could never ever coach. The move that he made on the swing pass that he turned into a touchdown to have that awareness and that sort of responsive time and quickness to elude the defender and then immediately turn up field and get into the end zone um again i don't know um how you could be anything less than supremely excited about the tantalizing potential of a Price-Love backfield or a Love-Price backfield, however you want to view it. And then if they hang on to to a Jabron Payne, Jabron Payne, again, showed today he's a very sturdy, sturdy valuable runner um, who has accepted a lesser role for a couple of years at Notre Dame. You wonder how long he'll be willing to accept that.
0: Yeah, it's a... Uh- I hope he does because I think I I just base – he and Dillon McCullough seem like they're a package deal to me in this situation. He'll always find a role. If if you're the third and ten back and the third and one back, your running back coach favors you in some way because those are very, very important downs. I do want to move just since we're on next year a little bit. Phil Acklin has a question based on what we saw this year and already the addition of Dembrock. What are the three main things ND football needs to focus on between now and spring practice? And he's not talking about spring practice. We'll be able to talk about it all the time, but this offseason, what are what are three things for ND football to focus on? Do
2: you think yeah, there's so another
0: position needed in the portal? Do you think there's
2: Yeah, any- I don't they're not they're
1: not done in the portal, yeah. John, they're not done in the portal. I, I don't think they're done in the portal. I think they're in a position uh with their roster construction that they feel like they can be very selective and go from there. Um and, and Marcus Freeman himself said we may not be done. Uh, that's why the the February signing day is still looming out there. It's not uh, it's not as must for Notre Dame as what it is for a lot of other programs that are in states of flux because Notre Dame just assembled uh, thanks to Chad Bowden and company its best recruiting class I think since 2013. Uh, but there are still some selective needs, and then uh, they've got to get this group of guys back in early January and around Lauren Landau and implementing a new type of strength and conditioning program. That they've never had before. And then um, again, it's about getting guys healthy and keeping guys healthy. We saw Batello get a little banged up near the end of the game today with his shoulder. Um, there's always some inve- inevitable uh, scopes and scrapes that occur after a long season like this. But, but for me, it's, yeah. Can you go cherry pick a, an offensive lineman out of the portal that you believe can, can plug in and help you right away. And it's getting in the strength and conditioning program. This is a much faster team. I've harped on this. It's a much faster team. Even since Marcus Freeman arrived as defensive coordinator and started making changes, it's getting faster. It must continue to get faster.
2: And, and Marcus Freeman was, was asked about Lauren Landau, uh, you know, his impact. And and again, and he said this originally when he was, when he was confirmed as the new strength and conditioning coach that, you know, he's excited about the, the individual uh, work between Landau and, and each player and, you know, the customized approach to strength and conditioning, which, I mean, that only makes sense. Uh, You certainly by position, you, you customize what you want to do, but, but not just by position, but by player at each position. So um, it'll it'll be very interesting to see what kind of progress he makes. While we're talking about, and I didn't answer the question, and and we can continue to do that. But while we're talking about young guys making contributions, Christian Gray had a one sensational series in the second quarter that continued to stem the tide against the Oregon State uh, offense. And then you know Drake Bowen, I I I was going down to the field by that point. So the safety that that JB, you might have a better perspective of this, but the safety that uh, that Nordane created that was a combination Josh Burnham and Drake Bowen, uh, yes. a, a, a freshman who didn't who didn't play much uh, or in the I don't even know if he played in the first half, but they started getting him in there uh, to get some snaps in the second half, and he continues to when he did get opportunities this year, he, he's looked good. They like Drake Bowen. He's going to be a good football player. He's going to have to play a lot next year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I think we all love Tim, you and I. Christian Gray is just a oh, very, too. very natural, uh, very confident. You know, when you talk to him, he's real quiet and unassuming. But, man, when he's on the football field, he is a very confident, aggressive, attacking football player.
0: John, before you talk about that safety or anything else, there was an, actually a Christian Gray drive. I don't know if any noticed that at home. First down was Christian Gray pass defense. Second down was Christian Gray coverage. And third down was third and 10. Christian Gray makes the tackle after a four-yard gain. So there was an entire Christian Gray drive defensively, which is when you're rotating in a corner is making the best of your opportunities.
1: I don't want to uh, be guilty of of uh, being so caught up in the moment of this game and, in the, and the thorough domination of it that, that we run wild out of control and spring too far ahead. But but there's a discussion out there that there, there's a potential for this Notre Dame defense next year to be as top end or more so than this Notre Dame defense this year. And oh, I, don't I don't think they will be John. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't dissuade that discussion at all because of what you just alluded to with the Christian Gray. Josh Burnham just continues to get so much better and better. And hey, let's talk about Jalen Sneed today. He yes. made some plays. he showed up, he dropped into pass coverage, caused a, caused the uh, tight end for Oregon State to drop that pass over the middle. Uh, Jalen didn't get a hand on it, but he dropped in, read it, pivoted, swiveled his hips, got a hand out trying to break the ball up. didn't yep. get a didn't get a hand on the ball, but very clearly obstructed the view of the Oregon State tight end. He dropped the ball. So those guys defensively all did some things for you today. You get Jack Kaiser back, who is just so supremely valuable. And then I want to real note really quickly on the offensive side of the ball as we talk about all these people. This is an offensive line unit. Starting together for the first time ever today with a bunch of guys, with multiple guys making their first ever career starts, they didn't have a holding penalty all day long. They did not have a holding penalty all day long with the first-time starter at quarterback, with guys starting in the backfield that never started, uh, and with receivers continuing to adjust into roles. Again, that's coaching. That also speaks to the players. I thought that was um, an incredibly positive element of this game.
2: Tim and I had a conversation pre-game with a, a a Notre Dame person. Were you going to say that, Tim? Going,
0: yeah, I knew where this was going. <laughs> yeah.
2: and, and, and he talked about Kaiser's leadership. And and certainly J.D. Bertrand will be missed. I mean, he's, his leadership was just uh, outstanding. But the point was made that Kaiser is more of an advisor to the young players than even Bertrand. Not, not that Bertrand wasn't. He's a great leader. But Kaiser's a little bit – more of a communicate what happened, Bertrand locks into his game. And when he's locked in, it's a little bit hard for him to see some of the peripheral things uh, around him. Kaiser's a little bit more of an advisor to the young players. And we've talked, I mean, you know, his, his production per snap is just off the chart. And so now you're going to see Jack Kaiser on the field all the time. So what you lose in Bertrand, you gain in Kaiser getting more snaps next year. And I, I, you know, I, I, I'm always the guy that forgets to bring up Jalen Sneed, and I think you're absolutely right today. He was an impactful football player. I'm looking forward to 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 seeing the the replay of the game and seeing everything that he did because that was that was an important performance by him today
0: yeah, it's uh these are you could be a little dubious on numbers of snap counts now because the game just ended. I don't know how someone does it that fast, but JD Bertrand won Benjamin Morrison too. Xavier Watts tied for second, actually. Jalen Steed next. I mean, that that means they trusted Jalen Steed. That's what we talked about on our podcast pregame. If Jalen Steed doesn't play a lot, that is a terrible sign. Well, he played the fourth most snaps of the game. So that's a great sign for Jalen Steed going forward. Yeah, and JB, I gave him a – I try to do coverage wins as a stat because you're right, he didn't knock that pass down. But he's the reason it was dropped. That's a coverage win for Jalen Steed. And that's what he has to work on. Is so that that's yeah, not a I'm just robotically PDC. dropping back, and I'm supposed to cover this spot? I mean, he made a play on the ball, and that's that's going to be huge for him because he needs a role other than go get it.
1: Obviously. Yeah, and 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 um, one more, Jaden Mickey today playing with an incredibly heavy heart, and goes out there and lays it all on the line, yeah. and you could tell he improved. He he played with the heaviest heart imaginable, but he showed progress in his game today. I thought that was critical
0: he would have actually made the stop on the fake punt if Joshua Burnham didn't swallow right. up. Yeah, he was right there on top of that.
2: How how does a kid play like that under the circumstances that he was dealing with with the passing of his mother? I mean, great respect. Um, thrilled for the kid to have a have a a game a, a quality game like that. There, there it doesn't show on the stat sheet, but um it it was progress. And and Jaden Mickey is he, he's I mean, from my perspective, he has struggled the, the majority of uh, of two years, but stepped into the starting lineup, uh, had a presence on the field. And and I think that, you know, he's a guy we, when he came in, I mean, his his attitude and his uh, aggressive approach, um, you know, is something that can really help Notre Dame moving forward. And, and you know, I think all of us just want to say that, um, you know, all, all the best. Jaden Mickey and his dad and the and the family because it's uh, it's obviously a really difficult time. Some things are, it's it's hard for us to, to comprehend and understand at times, but there are things that are a lot more important than the football game.
1: Yeah, you couldn't said so well, TP. I I, I want to say from a, from a tactical standpoint, um, not to be callous, but but just keeping talking about football as we speak about Mickey and the way he played today. Once again, Jaden Mickey, Jalen Snead, these guys, Christian Gray. They're all going to benefit from keeping Al Golden in place moving forward. We saw the leap from this defense year one to year two. They bring back so many key pieces. They continue to recruit really talented guys. They're keeping the nucleus of that defensive side of the coaching staff together. I think all of those things uh, are really important to evaluate and assess moving forward for Notre Dame. I think they're critical. So
0: people that don't know, uh, JJB was one of the was it five players Tim that came in to speak post game. They had a big collection of players coming in post game. And, and Benjamin Morrison did too, and he had Mickey's name on his wristband. And I, I think, I mean, obviously Morrison had the pick, but one of the reasons he came in was to talk about Mickey. And he, he talked about how Mickey has pushed him this entire time. And I thought that was a good moment for them all. Um, JJB had a chance to talk about being named a captain for the game. And I, I'm telling I said it to a Notre Dame official. I go, that's the graduate transfer of the year. And he goes, that's not even close. And then he said the other guy, when he was, Thomas Harper, would be up now, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was number two as well. But JJB, yeah. great guy to show. Come to Notre Dame. I mean, they are, I know they got open already, but come to Notre Dame. Play this role. He's now a better pro prospect than he ever would have been. He learned a lot about football, and he honed his game far more than he would have playing a, a rotational role.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, from the first time we we met with Benjamin Morrison, he's always been extremely impressive in interview situations. But from the first time we met with him, and I think virtually every time we've spoken with him, he credits Jaden Mickey for, you know, helping bring out the best in him. Jaden Mickey is a very brash, outspoken football player. And that's not necessarily who Benjamin Morrison is. Uh, And I'm not, you know, Ben, Ben Morrison was probably going to have eight interceptions through his first two years regardless. But I, I, I think Mickey's attitude has had a positive impact uh, on, on Benjamin Morrison because he, he he's brought some of that savvy and some of that personality out in him.
0: Good question from Kevin Cunningham. I know we're trying to balance today's game and what else is going on, but this is DJ Brown's last game. As of now, who's your safety? replacing DJ Brown next year alongside Xavier Watts.
2: Uh, I mean it, I'm sure
0: Shuler, it, it I think mine is, is, is training a Don Schuler.
2: Yeah, that, he has a presence on the field. I think we saw a little bit of that today. He has a little bit of a swagger. They like starting special teams
0: job too. He was out there in kickoff
2: coverage starting yeah, special teams. They liked him when he came in and then he got a little banged up and it had it was difficult for him. Well, he, he it it ended the uh you know, the balance of his spring yeah that uh, entry, right? And so that set yeah, him that totally. you know, I mean they're I all that v-
0: there were so many veterans too. Like Chris O'Leary loved the reserve power he had in I I still say Dj if you DJ Brown was a reserve, he'd have been an awesome reserve as opposed to a six hundred snap guy. But DJ Brown, Tim, Ramon Henderson, even Antonio Carter, he just liked his his older guys. And when Adon Shuler got hurt, I remember thinking, fair enough, that's it. I mean that that's it for the for yeah. learning the defense and playing ahead of those guys.
1: T.O. you That's maybe true. said it best to talk about the presence of an Adon Schuler and he he just has a, a a demeanor about him that you can see and feel on the football field just the way he carries himself there's a confidence there that he's expecting to make big plays and then he he is um he's a pretty athlete uh, as a coach said to me when you see him he looks really pretty out there. He he looks good in the pads, you know. So um yeah, that that's who I would lean toward moving forward. I think he has positioned himself to have the opportunity to springboard into a starter, or one of the top three guys that rotates and plays a time. And
2: what a, what a blessing! <laughs> I mean, Howard Cross and Riley Mills are coming back, and it, that could have gone both of those the team one or this both entire those, conversation. <laughs> it, <laughs> it does. I mean, it, it, it absolutely it absolutely does. And and uh, we saw at one point, I, I turned to Tim and I said, Mills is playing some strong side defensive end. I don't know whether again looking forward to watching the, the the tape of it to see if he got more snaps there, but I mean those guys uh, yeah, at the very least they hold the point of attack. They don't get pushed off the of football. There was a time when Riley Mills did, and I turned to Tim at, at one point today and it's like not only has Riley Mills learned how to get off blocks, but he's making tackles while being blocked, which I, I don't I don't hear that that conversation or that topic very very often, but it is a skill to be have somebody in your grill and you're being blocked and you can still reach around him and make a play and, and, you know, shut down the running game. He has become, I wasn't sure we were ever going to see it to be, to be Frank. I mean, you know how many times I, I said about him not getting off blocks, he gets off blocks, he makes plays, he's a barrier in there. And with cross and Gabe Rubio, and then we'll see how, you know, how, Jason Ani develops and Heinish and some guys like that. They are stout, man, that they, they have a stout middle of the line and maybe, you know, hopefully Jordan Botello can, can build upon what he did today. Did I miss that it was announced at some point that Botello was coming back? I, I may.
0: No, it just, we kind of, Al Golden wanted him back. We talked to golden about that. Jordan <laughs> Botello did not opt out. I asked Marcus Freeman, cause I want to get some quotes on Jordan Botello. Tell me about his evolution. You've coached him for three years, not two. He coached the defense with Patel. This is the first time they found him a role. And then Tim Priester followed up as he told him he was coming back. And he said yes, although you're not going to say no at that point either on the podium. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Let's be fair to the moment. I don't know if he would actually have said no right there.
2: But I we, do we I think with, back. We, yeah. we deal with 2,000 issues uh, per team per year. yeah. Did I miss that? Uh, I'm not sure he would
0: have volunteered. He didn't know yet if he didn't know.
2: (laughs) You know, there was a point during the season when I said to O'Malley, do they really want Botella back? Well, you know, they do. I I mean, obviously, you you need that that body and you need experience. And if he can strike the balance between being a pass rusher, you know, some of the things that J.J.B. learned this year, being a pass rusher but a guy that still holds the edge, gets off a block, makes a play for a two-yard gain instead of a nine-yard gain, Uh, he looked like that kind of player today.
0: And becomes consistent, J.J.B., because Marcus Freeman even said he's like, mentally he's getting – J.J. – I keep calling John Bryce J.J.B. J.B. J.J.B. said Patel is getting better mentally when I asked J.J.B. about it. For a fellow teammate to say that, that means it was a journey for him because otherwise you don't bother saying something like that. And Marcus Freeman said we want consistency on the edge. He's not consistent yet. I'm saying that he is now showing it's possible. Two years ago, or th- I think it was two years ago, Tim, we were on a podcast and I said, I have never seen that guy win a pass rush rep or a pass rush rep in a game against someone that wasn't like South Florida, where you just go and beat him around the edge. Now you see JJB, JJ Jordan Patella winning reps. He is, he's putting games, he's stacking reps in a game. And I don't know if he was the MVP. Obviously, Javante John Baptiste was great today. But the key is the two of them on the edge. And, Priester, you kept looking down at and saying, boy, that guy couldn't put on weight and play strong side end. Now He's he has to such, put on weight to do
1: it.
2: He has such a great frame. And yeah, his
1: frame, like, again, yeah, his frame is different positions, but very similar to a uh, Don Shuler. Like, you see the way that they carry the uniform instead of the uniform carrying them. And for Botello, you make a great point. There's a point in time where you wondered would he be anything – other than like a kamikaze guy on kickoff yeah. coverage. Yeah. like And he embraced that role to his credit. He, he wanted nothing more than to gun, go down the field and hurt somebody. But now that he's playing as a smarter player, he still has that aggression, but he's harnessing it much more effectively. He is growing at times to recognize a play and stay disciplined on the edge. And again, much like Jalen Sneed, much like we talked about on the podcast, I think you saw some guys today who very clearly – had been extra repped over the course of this bowl yeah. practice and then turned around and translated that to the game. That's the best case scenario for those players. That's the best case scenario for the coaches who get to say, look at the work you got in December, look at your production. Now here's our plan moving forward from that.
0: So I want to I want to interject here because there's no other point to say this. Uh, when you said he's always looking like he was going to hurt somebody running down on kickoff coverage, I mean, we talk about that all the time. But there was a play today, the last play of the half. Vitello beat his man around the edge and Gulbrunson – was turning to throw deep downfield. He did throw deep downfield, uh, intercepted by Benjamin Morrison. I saw Botello coming, and I knew he was going to be a full second late if he got there. And my first thought was, oh, God, don't kill him. That's 15 yards coming. Because I thought he was going to lay him out instead. He was just a quarterback hurry. Yeah. A little bit of growth there. You like to see the hits, but that was that. Two years ago, that would have been splitting someone in half for a 15-year penalty.
2: There was a question up there from Regine about, did Botello play hurt this year? I, You know, I, I, there – that's a that's a possibility but my thing is in the all the time that he's been at nordam he's not been a consistent football player so was he a little bit banged up this year
1: yeah, i think he had some shoulder stuff this year but yeah. yeah you're you're right tp
2: right i mean so that so that's why i'm like okay is he hurt well i don't know but we've never seen him be a consistent football player today was a, it was a, it was a significant step forward for him
0: yeah, and I think I'm glad you guys brought up Greg Bowen along with Steed because this is it for the. It's been three years of, of JD Bertrand starting. Maris Lee, if I wasn't in the game anymore, at one point today, we did see Bowen with Kaiser and Bertrand. We also saw Steed with Kaiser and Bertrand. So they're working them in there. Um, I think we all assume Bowen moves in the middle linebacker because of the way JD Bertrand talks about him. And, and he's not, not just because he's officially listed there, because that doesn't mean anything right now for Notre Dame. That is trying to get a two deep out to the media because it's a requisite part of their job. But I think he reps there as well. And when Jack Kaiser followed up and said, Drake Bowen can call a defense now, that yeah. is a huge step. Now he can't call it like J.D. Bertrand yet, but he's going to have Jack Kaiser next to him. Yeah, yep. that, that, That's the most important part of Jack – not the most important part of Kaiser coming back. His skill is so highly underrated. But Jack Kaiser coming back with these freshman linebackers, they would be lost in space – Beyond belief, if they all had to go play by themselves next year.
1: Well, look, somebody asked us about you know the three biggest needs for Notre Dame going into this off season. If there's no Jack Kaiser coming back, we're all sitting here talking about how Notre Dame has to try and go to the portal and find an experienced linebacker to bring in. But but Kaiser completely changes the dynamic of that. You you make a great point, TP. The guy's like a working on his third degree for Notre Dame. He's obviously brilliant, but his athleticism. Is perhaps underrated. The guy's a freak athlete and um, his straight line speed is really good. His agility is really good. Uh, and he does some special things on the football field because he's athletically gifted and because he's smart and understands the game.
0: If they tested it, if they did a combine now, he would be, he would test the best of all Notre Dame's linebackers, including the young guys. But we know, we know for a fact he'd beat Jalen Steed in a race. Now, that was two years ago because Jalen Steed was a freshman. That's not totally fair to him except that he challenged Jack Kaiser. So it is to totally him because <laughs> he lost. So, but I, I mean that, yeah, Kaiser's athleticism is highly underrated and it's good to see Snead put his athleticism to use. That and That's probably my takeaway from this for Jalen And he's,
2: you know, he's not a good tackler. He's not a very good tackler. He's a great tackler. Oh, Kaiser, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, also was explained to us today, and this was no shot at Bertrand, but I think people can see it when they watch. When J.D. Bertrand drops into coverage, he learned how to drop into coverage and cover the curl and he's covering the curl. Jack Kaiser's feeling out the play. For what's going on behind him knows where it's going to go and can break on things. That's, that's something that you want to see from Notre Dame next year. Can Drake Bowen become a guy that learns how to do that? Cause it's, it's not just athleticism when you don't know what you're doing. All of a sudden those feet are a lot less, a lot less athletic when you don't know what's going on out there. Do we have final takeaways from this game before the next time we all gather and talk about not the 2023
2: football team, it would appear.
1: TP, well, i the I- like to you.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens uh, further in the transfer portal. Really excited about uh, Chris Mitchell coming in. Uh, I think Bo Collins can be – I look at Chris Mitchell as a volume receiver. I look potentially uh, Jeremiah Hunter from from Kel, if they can get him. He's a volume receiver. I don't think Bo Collins is that kind of guy, but he, he's a presence. He has great length. Uh, he is. He's got a huge catch radius. And, you know, really interested to see where this receiver room goes, especially with Mike Brown. Uh, Jordan Faison complimented him again today. And, you know, Intel has told us, uh, and Marcus Freeman told us, that, you know, he didn't tiptoe into the receiver's room. A lot of guys will come in and say, hey, I'm new here. I just want to blend in. There's a bowl game. Uh, You know, my voice doesn't carry yet. Apparently Mike Brown's voice carries now. And I, I don't know how much influence he had. Jordan Faison was... Who was it that uh, we had a question this week about, okay, who's going to be the MVP and it can't be Jordan Faison.
0: No, they uh, said, who's, who's your pick? It was Siggles, who writes it a lot yeah, too. Uh, right, really. It was who's your pick to click offensively of the young guys. And it can't be Faison who's in the MVP category. We kind of <laughs> do. <laughed> <laughs>
2: That's but, just true. But you know, I'm I'm really, I'm really excited. You know, and you want to see the chemistry that Riley Leonard develops with that group, but, and then, and then Mike Denbrock as well. I, It's just, it's really exciting to see, or to think about, okay, um, you know, Notre Dame put up really good cumulative offensive numbers this year, but as we know in, in the big games, they they weren't, right. it wasn't sufficient enough. So, uh, you know, you add Den Brock, you add uh, the influence of Mike Brown, who has experience turning, turning nondescript three-star recruits into NFL draft picks. So, that, you know, that's where I'm focused. We know the defense is going to come back and be veteran, And, and you, you know, you have questions like who's going to be the other safety and some of those other things. Nickel, they, they've got to, you know, they've got to settle on the situation there, whether it's Jordan Clark or somebody else. But I'm really particularly interested in the evolution of the offense, particularly the receiving core, which never had an opportunity this year to be at full strength.
0: Yeah. Well, the offense today executed 23 more plays. Then at Oregon State 236 through the air 232 on the ground seven yards per play that's a nice debut for the uh, for the new look offense although it's going to change a lot more obviously with coach Dembrock coming in I think it's interesting that Marcus Freeman had Dembrok come in meet the team and then I think did completely the right thing that Dembrok was gone after that because that is the future they had to they had to wrap up 2023 here yeah good call we can wrap up with that. For John Bryce of Football Scoop, Tim Priester of Irish Illustrated, I'm Tim O'Malley. Thank you for watching Irish Illustrated Overtime. Final score, Notre Dame 40, Oregon State 8.